right, well, I've got uh, three sections of scriptures I want to look at tonight, and then um, I think I think it'll be a brief look because we've been through them before. But I want to I want to share uh, the importance, the dawning importance on me of this childness thing, the perspective of childness. So there were a couple of stories that happened with people. Uh, this week that really, really struck me. One was a longtime friend of mine who uh, is an older gentleman, uh, like some of us. He's a little older than I am. But uh, just a, a, a guy that's lived for Christ for his whole life. All his, you know, all his kids are Christians. He's done businesses. He's done missions work. He's done all this kind of stuff. And it came out, we were, we were uh, at a study. We were talking about... Uh, God being our Father and His love for us and stuff. And it came out after the fact that He said this. And, uh, and, and the this is, He said, you know, uh, if I could have my preference, when I die, I would prefer to slip just quietly into non-existence. And I would do so, and this was just heart-filling and wrenching both. He said, I would do so saying, thank you, God, for the wonderful life that you've given me and for my family. But he said, I would prefer to go into just oblivion rather than risk the chance that I have somehow failed to meet the expectations of God or answer properly the gifts and the opportunities that he's given me. And he said, so if I had my choice, and, 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 and you, you have to know, this was like one of the sweetest things you could possibly hear, you know? And, and so that was one story. Another story is, uh, is that, that, uh, in another study, the question was, who do you identify with? What character in the Bible do you identify with? And this person, uh, again, you know, like a, a longtime Christian, very devoted person, um, very talented person. So they said, I could identify with David, you know, because of his worship and creativity and stuff. But the real person I identify with is the elder brother. Because if I'm honest, I don't like it that a younger brother or a person in that situation can go out and live the way they live without the father holding it against them. And I know that's not right, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure this stuff out. And I didn't do a perfect job of telling that, but it's close. Is it close, Vicki? <laughs> okay. But the, the, the beauty in that, the beauty in that story, in my hearing of it, is, is the recognition that I'm honest about the way, you know, I feel about justice and I'm honest in the way I feel about there should be consequences to things. But I know that God feels different and he's working in different ways. And so I, I just, the, the combination of those two things made me go, it is really important how we think about God. 
And so we see the God that we're looking for. And, and, and so that's why I think this thing about childness is so incredibly important. And I've already made a bunch of points, and I'm not going to make them all again, but how Jesus just came right out of the box and was talking about being about his father's business. And the first thing that he, you know, he said when he rose from the dead is, I'm going to go be with my father and, and your father. So go tell the brothers that. And the last thing in all the cosmos he's going to do is he's going to turn the kingdom over to his God and father. So Jesus is preoccupied with the father. Jesus knows the father. And in a minute, we're going to just glance at, at John 17. And eternal life is knowing the father. And then we're going to look also at a couple of verses out of Matthew there in the Sermon on the Mount. And that's all about the Father too. And you wouldn't think it if you if you slow down and read it. You wouldn't expect it to be about the Father. You would expect it to be about the King or about the Ancient of Days or about Yahweh or about something. But uh, so here's here's the, the, the basis of this. We see the God we're looking for. I just want you to keep that in mind. And... That's why it's important to know your father through the eyes of a child. Alan, that was one of the reasons I smiled when you talked about uh, having the the the, uh, word on your wall, perspective. Because perspective can be like super important. Especially about how you see God. All right. So this is John 17, 1 through 5. Jesus spoke these things and, and lifting his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, I'm going to ask... And this is a basic question, and you all know it, and I'm going to emphasize it with the next slide. Who is Jesus talking to and about? He's talking to and about the Father, right? All right? So it starts right there in verse 1. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you and you. And so all the blues are there. But look at what it says here in verse 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. And I know this to be a fact for the majority of my life as a believer. I did not associate the you, the only true God, with the Father one and a half verses earlier. I gave myself permission to go, hmm, who is the true God? I didn't just accept the fact that it's the Father. Now what does it mean that he's the true God. And what does it mean that this is eternal life? To know you, the only true God. Or you could say it, if you want to just quote verse 3, I'm going to give you permission to say, you, Father, because that's who he's talking about. To know you, Father. He didn't change who he was talking about between Father, the hours come, glorify your Son, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. And Jesus, whom you sent. And then I remember we had, when we were first looking at this, we go, why that? Why and you, Jesus? Because of the nature of the revelation of the true God. We see that God. We know that God only this way through Jesus. Jesus is the child. Jesus is the son. You can go back to Isaiah and all that kind of stuff. So anyhow, how important is it 
that we know that the true God is Father. And I'm going to share some things that that, will emphasize that. Yes, Richard. The two stories you gave um, reminded me that um, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, yeah, you do not know me. Yeah, and you won't come to me to get lost. And we do the same thing. We do. do. And I just want to pray that we just receive revelation right now. Father, we just pray right now, God, that you captivate our hearts and our minds for revelation about this truth. Yes, God. Help us not to miss this very simple truth that you have throughout Scripture of the love of the Father for us. Reveal it to us, God. Help us to see it. Help us to hear it. Help us to know it in our hearts, in our minds. Transform us right now, Father, in the name of Jesus. We give you praise and glory. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Who is the true God in our minds? It depends on who we're looking for. If we're looking for a judge, if we think by whatever passage of Scripture we want to justify that in, or whatever Bible story we want to do that in, if we think of that, think of the implications of that. Everything we're going to see is going to be a black and white something. We're going to see things in terms of acquittal or guilt. And we may come up with a glorious atonement theory. We may come up with all kinds of wonderful supportive scriptures. But the reality is, like I think with my friend, if if God can open his heart to see that the identity beneath all identities. And remember me telling you, God was our father by choice before he was our creator. He was our father by choice before he ever had to judge any wrongdoing. If we can, if, if my buddy can be convinced of this, he will not have, he will not face the, the lack of assurance and the insecurity of living a wonderful Christian life. A life following God, serving other people, helping me, helping other people, build business. He will not live a life like that and then be subject to the fear of failure and rejection. Because Father doesn't do that. That's illustrated in the prodigal son. That's illustrated. And he didn't reject the elder brother either. So there's a path here to understanding for just about everything. If we will allow the words of Jesus, unless you were born again, what does born again produce? Told, you know, it produces a child. What is the point of the, of the incarnation? That he came to his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him gave them the power to become children of God. Uh, you know, I, I've, I'm beyond worrying about the you mean we weren't before and then we get the power? No, it's like the Marines. I think I might have told you guys this. It's like the Marines say that we'll make a man out of you. Well, they can't make a man out of you if you start as a tomato plant. They can make a man out of you if you have the potential as a man, as a child, to become a man. That's what it's talking about. We don't get a new ontological beginning when we receive Jesus. Jesus brings what the the goal of childness is, which is a fully statured son. 
And so if, if we can, if we can just know that, let's look at these next ones. So this is it. Uh, how can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus knew what he was talking about. I tell you, unless one is born again, he can't see the kingdom. And if one is not born of water and spirit, he can't enter into the kingdom. Look at that. This is that childness perspective. All right. So here's this one. Kingdom. I spent a lot of time, and I know some of you have, being very kingdom conscious, kingdom oriented believers. Who is the God of the kingdom? Well, for most of us, he's a monarch of some type. He sits on a throne. Generally, that throne, our vision of it is that it's up a set of stairs. And we have reason to have these visions. There's a rainbow over the top of it in Revelation. There's angels working all over the place. But so, so this week I read some stuff by George MacDonald, and he, he, he put it in, in a lot of beautiful terms. The picture of God as a monarch leaves all kinds of room for things that are good, like having a lot of power, having a lot of authority, um, being noble. It also leaves all kinds of room for capriciousness, for judgment, for things like, who am I to say what the king can do? I, I fear that my, my buddy is thinking more of God like a monarch that, that may demand more than he has thing. And, you know, he's, he said, I know there's things he's asked me to do in my life that I haven't done. And I know there's things that I've tried to do that I haven't done well. Is anybody here not capable of saying that? Does anybody here think that a redemptive plan that had a snowball's chance in heaven, and I chose that word literally because of the light and the glory and the fire that is a part of heaven that has a snowball's chance of working, would have that as a disqualification criteria that I didn't do absolutely everything I was called to do or that the things, the many things I did do, I didn't necessarily do perfectly. That's a kingdom run by some kind of monarchical administrator, not a father. Not a father. Not a father. When Jesus said that unless you're converted and become as a little child, you won't enter the kingdom, or here, unless you're born from above, you won't see the kingdom, I'm saying amen now. The more I see this, and the more I see that this is a missing ingredient in a lot of people's Christian lives. A big missing ingredient. Here's a, a passage out of Matthew. Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is laying out a very significant, systematic revelation about the nature of God. And he's telling it to a bunch of people who are confused but devoted. Right? They're in the temple. The Jews, the religious worship. You've heard it said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that why? Why? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Not so that you may please Yahweh, the God who is like no other God. And I'm meaning no disrespect by this, but I'm saying Jesus came for a reason. He came to reveal him. Hebrews says that in times past and in various ways, God spoke through prophets and the fathers of old, but in these last days he has spoken 
through his son. He has spoken through his son and he is revealed. The covenant that is, is revealed for us to live in is one that plainly says, I will have mercy on your transgressions and your sins I will remember no more. The reason that we don't live in the light and the peace of that covenant is because we don't understand who the God is that's being talked about there. It's this God. Now, our behavior is important. Our ability to love people and our commitment to, to not give again to hatred and division and all this stuff. It's important. You guys know it's important. You know it's important in your own lives. You know it's important in our culture right now. But the reason it's important is so we can be sons of our Father. We can be like our God. Now, if you think your God is a, is a, is a monarchical administrator sitting on a throne ready to divide the sheep and the goats and throw lightning bolts and do all that kind of stuff and manage everybody through separation, then maybe you don't want to be a son of that. But, but that's not who our God is. And I know some can say, well, yeah, but we have to deal with those scriptures. We have to deal with that revelation. We have to start by knowing who God is. And God is who Jesus has revealed. God is who Jesus... God is our Father. So that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes... This is who God is. He causes the, the Son to rise on evil and good. And he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Today I had to dig our cars out. We had two-foot drifts in front of our house today. And Greg came up and helped me get the studio set up in my basement a little bit. And his uh, Mustang is not a snow vehicle, let's put it that way. <laughs> and so he had to borrow my car and go back down to Pueblo. So Vicky and I got out there and dug today. And, uh, um, you know, I didn't like doing that that much, but... Nevertheless, I walked out about four or five hours later, and the sun had shined and melted off the area where we dug so we could get our cars out with no difficulty at all. And I go, wow, this first just jumped at me. You shine on the just and the unjust. I wasn't particularly just the way I was thinking about that snow shoveling job this morning, but you still shined on that. This is the nature of our God. We don't think that way. We think he doles out stuff retributively or blessing-wise. We think, you know, and I'm not saying that none of that ever happens. I'm saying that's not who he is. He's this. How about this one? Everybody knows this. I've said it before. I've said when Jesus had an opportunity to answer the call, what, how to teach us to pray, he could have said anything. And he said, pray this way, our Father. But look at this. There's a, a bigger lesson here for tonight. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. Why? Because your Father... Knows what you need. Who? Your father. Your father knows. Jesus was preoccupied with the father because he knew who he was. He knew where creation came from. Now, he may sit on a throne and it may have a lot of steps going up to it. I'm not against that. But his personality, his heart, doesn't flow from that piece of furniture. It flows from being the father of us. Pray then this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to make some comments. Uh, I might ruffle a few feathers. Back to my kingdom charismatic days through the vineyard and beyond in recent times. If you're like me, and I ask you this question, you're honest with yourself. When you think about the God of the kingdom, did you ever think about Father? I didn't. I always thought about the king. The ancient of days. You know? Now, I'm not saying you can't have, because if you had revelation, you would have, because Jesus did, and he said it right there in Scripture. It's been in front of our face our entire life as a believer. Pray this way. Our Father, your kingdom come. Who's the king of the kingdom? It's our Father. It's our Father. Our Father is the king. The closest I ever got to that was that my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and I would trumpet that when I needed resource. But it never carried over to me taken seriously, who is the king of the kingdom of heaven? Oh, it's my father. And now I'm feeling it. And I know that isn't what, what my friend's thinking of. You know? There's a different expectation. Just like there's a different expectation in that other person's uh, longing for justice. I don't begrudge people for longing for justice. But if God is a judge, if that's how you think of him, everything you're going to look at and see is going to produce uh, evidence or conviction or of some judicially related thing like that. What does the justice of a father look like? That sounds more like what justice is talked about back in Isaiah someplace, or you know where it talks about to, to, to take care of widows and do justice and all this kind of stuff. We, we need to learn this. We need to take this seriously. Look, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. How about the will of God? Do you ever, do I ever use the phrase, the will of the Father? Fortunately, I have been a little bit in, in recent time, but not very often. Most of the time, the will of God leaves the door wide open for unknowableness. But the will of a Father is discernible. It's anticipatable. He wants his children to do well. He wants his children to come into their destiny. He wants his children to feel secure and know their love. That's the nature of a father. That's the nature even of a natural father for the most part, even though it can get screwed up. But clearly, that's, that's the father's desire. How about give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts? You ever think of the Father as being the one that forgives your debts? He does, and I have, but it's not been the dominant identifier, you know what I mean? I've looked to other aspects of atonement. I've looked to that, but it's exactly what it says. That's the God of the New Covenant talked about in Hebrews chapter 8. I will have mercy on your transgression and your sin I will remember no more. I spent a long time in a theology that said that's not okay for God to do. He has to punish sin. He has to. No, he doesn't. He can forgive his children if he wants. Why does that seem strange to us? Because we have him either in a courtroom or sitting on a throne or some other administrative obligation that he bows to as God. 
And Jesus came to straighten out that false notion. And they hated him for it. Over in John 8, I was thinking about including that tonight, but I'm not going (laughs) to. I am a little bit. They said that you make yourself equal with God by calling him your father. And they tried to kill him. This is not a small revelation. This is not a weak revelation. Be perfect. How many of you have ever struggled under that passage of Scripture? Be perfect. As your God in heaven is perfect. It doesn't say that. It says as your heavenly Father is perfect. But we think about it like it's our God in heaven and we stick him on a throne or we shine where he's in approachable light. What would it be like to be perfect like your father? Like you were just down with your father, Holly. And, and it sounds like your father's a wonderful guy. Does that put a big burden on you, or does it open a door for you to be generous like he's generous, and kind like he's kind, and thoughtful like he's thoughtful, and selfless like he's selfless? Do you see how important this perspective is? It's critical. It's super critical. When we think about the kingdom, if we are paying attention to Jesus, and will allow the Holy Spirit to bring this revelation to the front of our mind. We will think of a kingdom headed by a father. Our father. When we think about the will of God, we'll think about the will of a father. Governed by that. What was the will of the father in the story of the prodigal son? Probably that his son would come home because he was watching for him all the time. I understand the, the, the thought of how can it possibly be okay for this son to just go squander all this, go sinful living and all this kind of stuff, completely disrespecting. It's only okay if there's something more important than the accounting of a good life. And there is. There's the heart of a father towards his son. And he turned to that elder brother and he said, you know, this brother of yours was dead. He didn't, dis- he didn't discount what was going on and the, and the loss and all that kind of stuff. But it didn't change him. And this is one of the the big pet peeves that that I have is we give so many things the ability to govern how God's heart is. And I I, I don't understand why we don't see it. Sin can make him act one way and do other things and not do other things. Um, Just a million things that, that he owes to. But if we realize that Jesus came with a very serious and intentional purpose of revealing the Father as the Father, I think we're going to be taking some big strides forward. So, what are your thoughts about who God is that could be, in the wrong way, prejudicing you against knowing that He is your Father, seeing Him as a child? It was like for me, um, seeing him as a monarch. And, and I'm all for worshiping before his throne. But I just feel like there's something to be gained, even if I am driven willfully, uh, voluntarily, in desire to worship, if I'm driven to my knees, I still feel like there's something of the revelation that Jesus has brought of who it is that sits on that throne 
that when I peek up for a moment, he winks at me. He's not just austere. He's my father. There's a thing going on between us. And it's not based on my behavior. And it's not based on my calling. It's based on my identity. Here's another one. Uh, I so appreciate the revelation, and, and I'm utterly committed to it, that God is our Father before He's our Creator. But a lot of people don't think that. And, and I'm not just talking uh, Christian people, I'm talking a lot of secular people. That if they allow for God to exist, they're going to they're allow for Him to be a Creator. And look at what comes from that. You can sit there and you can, you can have rise up within a people that think like that, that, that identify God as Creator instead of Father. And you can have somebody that justifies violence against people on behalf of animals or trees. Environmental terrorism flows out of a thought like that. That God, God is, He's not a father, and so that doesn't, that means that we're not special as children. Not just those of us that know it, but the ones that don't. And so, in this, in the sake of righteousness, in the name of the Creator, we can go blow up a zoo or something to free the animals because they deserve the freedom the same as we do. Or, you know, the, the million of other, uh, excessive things that come out of, um, but if God's a father and we know we're children and we know our neighbors are children, even if they don't, you won't make that mistake. You won't have the place in your theology or your philosophy to do that. Again, the, <laughs> the Pharisees wanted to stone Jesus because he called the father daddy. Mm -hmm. And the religious community wants to do the same thing. And I was listening to the radio uh, going down to the springs to the apartments and uh, he was, this guy was talking about the, the holy reverence of God. And that so turns me off because I can't approach God in that way anymore. I, 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 that's how I used to look at God as this holy reverence thing of power that I couldn't approach other than yeah. fear and trembling type thing. Yeah. Until I got the revelation of, he just loves me. He just loves me. Mm -hmm. With all my faults and all everything, he just loves me. That yeah. all changed to where I, 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 I approach him as my dad. Mm -hmm. And so it just changes everything. And uh, to, uh, so th that stumbling block of holy reverence was a big, big one for me. And, but it was only through him just pouring his love on me, showing me that, hey, I, I'm here. I'm, I'm right here with you, and there's nothing between us. It just changed everything. Amen. Amen. I think it will. I think it will. I know one of the, you know, I, I experienced some frustration over some of the, the recent season of, of um, political issues, and I don't really like what's going on politically. But... I, I also didn't care for, and I didn't know why so much, I didn't care for the the prophetic tone and the prophetic stridency about it. 
And I really, uh, as I was thinking through this and thinking about, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I didn't hear anybody ever once that I recall talk about the Father has a plan for America. It was always God. And it was always God that was linked to a, a vision of God back in, in uh, various Old Testament scenarios with Israel before there was a revelation of God being a father. And it just, it's, it's hard. It's hard for me to... Jesus said, pray that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we've been praying. That's what we all want in this last several months. But we haven't, we haven't prayed the way he said. We haven't prayed to who he said. He said, pray this way. Our Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. And I, I, that's water under the bridge. I'm not really trying to pick a bone with anybody that way. I'm just saying, one of the reasons that I think we're, we're left with unfulfilled expectations and we don't have a place to put some of these things that haven't happened yet is because we don't think of God the way Jesus has revealed him to be. And therefore, we're not drawing on eternal life the way Jesus said it was. This is eternal life. That they would know you, Father, the one true God, and Jesus whom you sent. And I just want us to be able to do better. That's all I want. I want us to be able to do better. I want us to be living a Christian life with Christian expectations that are satisfied through a preoccupation with Jesus and the Father that He reveals, the God that He reveals. And I think we can do it. Because I think that's what the Holy Spirit does. If you remember, and we look through this a lot, there in Galatians, there in Roman, because you are sons, He sent forth the Spirit of His Son to cry out, Abba, Daddy, Father. I think there's a team that, that is the Godhead and I think that team, in ways that I don't fully understand, consists of the Father and the Son in whom He takes delight, and the Son who laid aside His glory to come to earth to reveal the Father to us, and the Spirit who makes room in our hearts for Christ to live by faith and reveal who the Father is. And I think that we have constructed, we have inadvertently ignored the revelation that Jesus gave and gives and the witness that the Holy Spirit bears of Abba, Daddy in our lives. And we have made room for a variety of gods, mostly that are not our Father, and that are difficult for us to understand. And it's not like we don't come from a long line of folks that can do that. The children of Israel said of the golden calf, this is the God who delivered us from Egypt. They weren't going back and worshiping the, the, the bull God. They were thinking and calling God. Now, they have an excuse because they didn't have the incarnation in their midst and the revelation that that brought. So, 
I'm going to stop because I would have to bring out my soapbox otherwise. Our Father who is in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. Let's just try building our relationship and expectations on the revelation Jesus gave our Father. Yeah, Jen. I know you're at the end, but I think this is important to clarify in case it's not clear. Okay. Are you saying uh, that we've lost sight of the lens to look at God as Father, and it doesn't mean He's still not the Holy King? All the other, absolutely, all the absolutely. other roles we've just uh, ignored or lost sight of, or never understood that Father is, is a big key in, in our approach to Him, and we're not saying that none of those other things no, are no. still true. As a matter of fact, I'm saying we misunderstand those things, and we're vulnerable to, to them being assigned different kinds of attributes that, that could never coexist from the heart of a Father. But because of, because of who He is, and because of who He is in relationship to the Logos, the Son, his heart then has to be factored. A classic one is like holiness. Holiness gets reduced to a, just a judicial list of, of rights and wrongs. And, and that is partly because we, we disassociate the holiness of God from the Father. And the kingship of God and the ancientness of God and, and all of that. Yeah. So I'm not saying those other things are important. I'm saying that, that we wrestle them away from from the, 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 the inside nature of God, which is the Father. It, the, the thing about being a father is that you've given from yourself and a part of yourself is still in them, still connected. That's, that's the part that we disassociate. And we, we envision that in some scenarios, God, defined by other attributes, can sit there like this on, you know, on a chair or in judgment or something along those lines. At the very least, if we think about God as a judge and think about him as a father, we're going to understand the agony in his heart if there is, if there would ever be condemnation to issue out. Because what father wouldn't have that? So, right. it's, yeah, it's just... So, so the, I think the, coexisting is a good word. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Lens we absolutely. look at it rather Oh, because I think our father is holy, and mm-hmm. I think he is just, and I think he is righteous, and I think he is all those things. But to allow ourselves to lose connection with the primary revelation that Jesus gave, which is Father. Yeah. Yeah, That's a great point. No, I just wasn't sure that was clear. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, somebody want to go get Laurel and let her know I'm done? All right. Any thoughts? Other thoughts? We have a few minutes. Mic's open. Okay. Well, I, I love this because while I'm sitting there, it reminded me of a conversation that I had about five or six years ago. Uh, usually annually I would have lunch with an old friend of ours. And inevitably after we would just shabba-dabba-do and settle down, the question would come out, well, what's God talking to Jason about? And I said, well, Anthony, is God Lord or is he Father? And I just love that you are hitting this and nailing it right now because it was such a fruitful and just such an enriching conversation. But you are bringing out things that I hadn't even considered. 
and the order of things that is just so uh, freeing. You know, back to the story of, of my friend, I, I can't wait till the next time I get to talk to him about about father. Now, here's something. Here's something that I, I read from George MacDonald. He said that if a person um, if a person can't see a revelation, it's because they can't see it. So you don't have to try to beat them over the head with it and persuade them. You have to pray for them. Yeah, baby. Okay, I'm going to cry. <laughs> Just getting that out there. Um, but years ago, I had a conversation with my mom. And she told me that in, in this conversation, we were talking about spiritual things. And um, she said, Vicki... Actually, she said, Vicki Lee. Um, and I, I knew she was going to come off with some kind of wisdom because she just had a real huge journey into spiritual things. And she said, I know everything about you. And I thought, whoa, <laughs> no, you don't. And she said, she said, I know everything about your brothers. I know everything about your sisters. And I I listened to that, and it was like God just came and he said, do you hear what she is saying? She knows you in the same way that I know you. And you guys, it freed me up to go on this journey with God and with my mom and come into this place of realizing you know, as you grow older, you, you can become a friend with your child. I mean, this is my daughter here, and we consider ourselves friends. But my mother was letting me know that she was my mother. And my God was letting me know that he was my father. And so, you know, everybody wants to be known. And, and the goal of a relationship between a parent and a child is to come into that relationship that's so reciprocal in love and adoration and fun and, and all of that. And it freed me up so much because I could say to my mom, do you remember when I did this and my attitude? And I do the same thing with father now. You know, I, I just talk to him all the time in the same way that I would talk to my mom. And, and being known is really, really important to a child. Yeah. And when my mother said, I know you, it just opened up a huge, huge, you know, freedom to walk into the trueness of the Father. And anyway, thought yeah. I'd share that. That's cool. And yielding, yielding to being a child helps us overcome that adult tendency to go, figure it out, you know. Little children, that's my point here, is, is that children naturally look to their father, if, if given a chance at all. And God has given us every chance. Amen. Amen. 